is Andy Wakefield, and this is the Andy Wakefield Podcast. This is a place where stories are told that have never been heard before. Andy Wakefield, what a pleasure to be here with you. We are showing up for the Health Freedom Summit. I can remember 18 months ago when health freedom wasn't even a thing. No, not only is it a thing, but it's connected to our freedoms in general. So what a, what a great opportunity here to have a few moments to spend with you. I know that the audience that's here listening now is specifically targeted to the health freedom movement. Tell us what you've seen over the past eh, maybe six to 18 months that have changed this narrative to, to where we are today. What's happened really, whether it was triggered by Vax or whether it was just coincidental with Vax, is that the the whole trajectory of health freedom, threats to health freedom, mandatory vaccination changed after public perception was focused on this issue, specifically in relation to vaccine, uh, by vax. And I think what it led to was panic in the ranks of public health officials and the pharmaceutical industry in particular is that they realized they were losing the hearts and minds of people. So many people saw that film and then started to challenge the dogma that vaccines were the greatest thing that we'd ever done and were in fact uh, actually intrinsically unsafe and therefore something that they were going to exempt from. And we saw declining rates of vaccine uptake across the country or delays in vaccines. There was a reaction from the system and the system reacted in several ways. One is to start to push state laws, which took away philosophical and religious exemptions. States enjoy variously, state by state, three exemptions, medical, philosophical, and religious. And uh, those were going to be severely compromised by these state laws. Then to go after doctors who offered medical exemptions to parents which might fall outside what the CDC would consider acceptable. You were taking the doctor-patient relationship and trying to interpose the state into that process to determine who should and who shouldn't get vaccinated. To go after not just children in public school to prevent them going to school, but to go after children in private school and latterly to go after all children, including those in homeschool children, to the extent now that there is a move to challenge the very practice of homeschooling in this country. So it is getting worse and worse and worse. At the same time, to accelerate the vaccine program, to introduce new vaccines, and to make it more and more difficult for people to escape those vaccines, and to extend this process not just from children, but to adults right into old age and into pregnancy to, to have a worldwide mandatory market from cradle to grave for products for which there is no financial liability, certainly in the United States of America. This is a system that is destined to fail because a public health measure like vaccination depends upon the confidence of the consumer, or in this case, the parent of the consumer, in the policy makers, not in the vaccine itself, but in those who are making the policy decisions about vaccination. They cannot escape that responsibility. And 
it requires confidence. And when that confidence is gone, when the hearts and minds of the public are gone, what we see is force. That is all that is left of them is force. And force is a road to nowhere. Forced medical procedures have always failed. And it's a question of how quickly one can bring about the demise of that forced vaccine agenda. But it is a very, very alarming time. And one of the main tenets of the marketing of uh, mandatory vaccination has been fear. And never have we seen fear exploited in the way that we do now with the coronavirus infection. And despite warnings, despite cautions, despite evidence to the contrary, which has now accumulated to the point where it has become unambiguous. I just saw one presentation by an ER doctor who runs many ERs throughout the state of California this morning, really giving the, the true figures for this, saying this is absolutely no worse than seasonal flu in terms of its morbidity or mortality. But we are seeing a destruction of the economy, a destruction of people and families as a consequence of that, and unprecedented violations of health freedom. And it's all based upon a fallacy. So I think what we have reached is a situation where, I hope we've reached a situation where the public are now sufficiently skeptical, who have suffered so badly as a consequence of policymakers, public health policymakers making mistakes, that they will react against any and all dictat from those policymakers, including the idea that we are going to face universal mandatory vaccination worldwide. And at the front of that agenda has been a man totally unqualified to push it, and that's Bill Gates. And it's astonishing to me, and I just leave you with this question, Laurie, and that is, how is it possible? How is it possible that one man, simply by virtue of his wealth, can be in a position to dictate global health policy and individual health choice? How can that situation have possibly come to pass? It is remarkable, and it's frightening at the same time because I started paying attention about five years ago when California succumbed to mandatory vaccination, the Healthy People 2020 agenda which was a UN-driven agenda that was aimed specifically to attain a 100% vaccinated population. It seems like this COVID-19 crisis, and I put it in quotes, is teed up specifically on that timeline. I never heard the term vaccine hesitancy prior to vaxxed. I do know that a program emerged out of the University of Washington which is where the law school at University of Washington is named after Bill Gates Sr. Out of University of Washington came a training program for physicians on how to convert vaccine hesitancy into vaccine compliance. And that came after Vaxxed. So I believe that the films that you've made and are making and are going to make are directly having an impact on the acceleration and the need for a more egregious approach for compliance. And I also think that now that adult flu shot injury has been added to the schedule of uh, approvable 
uh, compensation in vaccine court ever since that happened in, I believe, 2015, we have seen an enormous push for the flu shot, right? They're giving it away at libraries, at Walmart, at schools. At, they're paying you. They'll give you a $10 validation for your parking and a donut if you get your flu shot at the 7-Eleven. I mean, it's ridiculous. But it seems like when things get to that level where they're really being crammed down our throats, it's because there's been a pushback and a rejection. And I don't think barring some kind of situation like what we're seeing now, I don't know that we would have had this kind of opportunity to have an open discussion about health freedom. I don't know that it would have become as commonplace and as much of a household term as it's becoming. But I also think that God willing, it's actually going to be a blessing and that it will wake people up to what's going on. Because look what's happening as we're speaking right now. We have a huge demonstration happening right now across the country, demonstrations, plural. I know there's one going on right now in Michigan where people are demanding the right to go back to work. Health freedom rights are now becoming a part of just freedom rights. You know, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the right to work and earn, earn a living and earn food. This is what it's migrated into, Andy. What do you think is going to happen next? Well, I, it's, it's fascinating because we have this sort of war of the worlds building up where the industry is desperate to secure its markets and its profits and therefore is forcing the mandatory vaccination agenda. You have a population worldwide that is waking up to the reality that their health freedoms are being stripped from them. And in that process, their economic livelihood is being destroyed at the same time, that they are becoming more and more vulnerable to the diktat of the state. We have to recognize that and, and stand firm. We really, really do. And, and, and uh, I mean, we call the film, as you know, it's a, it's a play upon 1984, George Orwell's dystopian, futuristic world where the truth was written by the government. And that was the only truth. We are moving so rapidly towards that. And we have to avoid it at all costs because it will lead to a sixth extinction event for humankind. That is what it will lead to. Mm. And um, with vaccines in particular, we are entering an era that we saw with antibiotics, and that is the emergence of multi-resistant, highly dangerous bacteria through the injudicious use of antibiotics, the evolutionary process that allowed them to escape the antibiotics effect and to become far more dangerous. We're now seeing that with vaccines and a mandatory vaccination agenda worldwide is going to accelerate that process. All medicine has to offer is double the dose, take another shot, take a booster. It doesn't work. It exacerbates the problem. It increases the profitability of the companies, but it is ultimately a disaster. And people have got to wake up to this. And the, the, fallout, the damage done to children in particular, which you and I have observed in the years, is tragic. We're facing one in two children with autism by 2032. And that's on the vaccine schedule as it was, without the idea of new vaccines being put into the mix. We're seeing massive rates, huge rates of diseases, serious, serious and costly diseases like asthma and 
food allergies, for example, of multiple sclerosis and insulin-dependent diabetes. And so autism is just one part of this constellation of diseases for which we're seeing epidemics in young people that are unprecedented cancer in young people. And so we need to take a very long, hard look at this whole public health agenda before ever introducing any new vaccines into the equation. How do you think it's going to play out, given that we sort of know who, who's behind all of this, and yet the ability of the public to actually push back, it feels like there's a huge disconnect. As a filmmaker, there's a fascinating sort of dramatic play going on on stage every day in the White House press briefings. And what it's breaking down factionally into, ideologically into, is the Fauci, Gates, mandatory vaccination to hell with natural herd immunity developing in, in the face of this coronavirus. But let's all be susceptible and therefore need their vaccine, their life-saving vaccine. And then you've got the initial skepticism reinforced by events of the executive branch of the government itself, by the president and others. Is it leading leading to a a pressure cooker confrontation? It's more so because uh, the, the truth is emerging from many, many doctors around the country are getting up there and saying, this is not what you're being told. Here are the facts. This is now no worse in terms of mortality, morbidity than seasonal flu, and yet we are being coerced into believing now. That is that those are the facts. And I think what we're seeing, what we will see is a widening of the division between the president and his staff on the one hand, and the other faction, the opposing pro-vaccine faction mm-hmm. on the other. People will need to make a decision now, because let's put it this way, if and I, this isn't advising people to vote one way or the other, but people need to be informed that if the Democrats become the next government, then there will be mandatory vaccination. Their agenda is quite clearly mandatory vaccination. They will side with the Fauci-Gates side of the equation. If, in, on the other hand, you are in favor of health freedom, if you cherish your health freedom, and if you suspect that going down this path is really a herd of lemmings, moving towards the edge of the cliff to certain death, then you will take the alternative view and protect your health freedom. So I think it is an astonishing time in human history. It's a defining time. It seems to be a dichotomy. There is very little middle ground, as I can see. You need to decide where you stand on this. I saw today, just today, and you may have seen this, that they're lining up people now for a challenge trial of the new vaccine to accelerate the COVID virus vaccine production or the coronavirus vaccine production towards market. They are now going to take the unprecedented step of giving the vaccine and then deliberately infecting people with the virus. Now we know from experimental SARS virus vaccines and the uh, respiratory syncytial virus vaccine, that was catastrophic. It led to an immune overreaction. You got the vaccine, you appeared fine. You developed antibodies, you appeared immune. But when you were then re-exposed to the virus, you developed a catastrophic, exaggerated immune response that led to severe disease and often death. And so 
these vaccines were abandoned. And here we have a situation in which that very clinical trial is being anticipated, is being conducted, is likely to be conducted to accelerate the vaccine to market. And I wonder whether informed consent will be um, telling people the history of those other vaccines and why they were abandoned. I doubt it. Do you think they've gone too far? Do you think that the overreach is going to be exposed? I mean, we have studies and reports now from Germany, Sweden, Italy, Israel, all with data indicating the numbers are not nearly what they thought they were going to be and what the models were predicting. And the models came out of the Gates Foundation. I mean, it is literally the fox guarding the hen house. So do you think that they've made a fatal mistake in attempting to use this narrative to push people into compliance? I certainly hope so. I mm. certainly hope so. And I hope that they will be held accountable. I think that there, there will be enormous pushback based upon the data as they emerge and who ends up being on the side of writings. What would you do if you were a young man today just starting out with your family? Would you head for some remote place in the mountains and grow your food? Would you find an island somewhere and build yourself a hut? Would you stand and fight and take a chance on, you know, the the coastal urban liberal cities that seem to be leading the charge? What would you do? I think if I if I decided to turn tail and run and hide, they would find me wherever I went. Ultimately, they have a global <laughs> policy. So I don't think that there is any merit in that for the longer term. You're really putting off the problem and making it inevitable. They're going to track you down. They're going to do this because that is their policy. So I mm -hmm. think the message is we have to stand and fight. Mm -hmm. um, we, we do. To, there are principles, ideals that um, are worth doing that for, as, as Nelson Mandela said at his trial. There are ideals worth dying for. And I, I think that I, you know, this has been said, and I don't want to get, you know, into the sort of dramatic rhetoric, but better to die a free man than to live as a slave. And I, our forefathers saw this, the founding fathers of this country also or all of this and recognize the importance of freedom. And we have to fight to preserve that freedom because it, it will be surely stripped from us in a very short space of time if we don't. We really do. And the beauty of the film that you're creating, 1986, The Act, goes to the heart of really where the tables turned and the pharmaceutical industry took precedence over people. It has been a disaster since it was incorporated into our public policy here in the United States and unfortunately has led to um, disastrous international policy and health freedom. The film is such an important asset for the health freedom narrative because it is a powerful medium, the most powerful on the planet, and it will help to wake people up to the fact. Are you not as surprised as I am how few Americans are aware that vaccine makers have no liability in the marketplace? Yes, in, including politicians. I mean, I, we, we incorporated into the film the other day, Joe Biden getting up there in the presidential candidacy debate, saying, you know, talking about gun, uh, offering indemnity to gun makers and saying, imagine if I got up here and said, we're going to give indemnity to the pharmaceutical industry. 
Imagine if I said that. <laughs> you better go and study. Oh, my heavens. How did I miss that one? What a nugget. A I mean, it was astonishing. That is astonishing. It, it, it underscored the not only the naivety of, of senior politicians, but also the he used it. He used it to exemplify the horror. Imagine if we did this. This would be unthinkable. Well, actually, it's been going on since 1986. And actually, it it was his signature at the bottom of... No, it, it was to whom the vaccine court judgment report buried in the U.S. Special Claims Court annual report goes to every year and went to him directly with his name on the cover letter for eight years because he is the president of Congress. As the vice president, he was the president of Congress. And that's who receives the report from the HHS. So not only does he look the fool for not knowing that, but he actually was the recipient of the report every year showing the payouts for injury and death in the United States as a result of vaccine injury, which of course the pharmaceutical companies have no liability for whatsoever, which on average is $200 million a year, which most Americans have no idea about. And we're not talking about, you know, four or five really bad cases. We're talking about hundreds of cases, which the Harvard Pilgrim study has demonstrated is 1%. That represents 1%. So multiply you know, 220 some pages front and back with an average of, you know, three to four cases per page. And that's 1%. So if 200 million is 1%, we're actually looking at a much bigger number. And I'm sure, sure Joe Biden has no clue of the reality of the damage that has been done and continues to be done while pharmaceutical companies post bigger and bigger profits. I have a dream that at some point, we will be sitting down, we as a movement will be sitting at a table and we will have the pharmaceutical representatives on one side and whomever is the head of the administration of our nation on the other side and there will be a white flag in the middle and there will be an opportunity to look at this for what it really is and rebuild or revise. What does that look like for you? I don't think that the industry knows how to sit down at a table and come to a compromise, to capitulate, to a, agree to any level of liability. I don't think that they're, you're not recruited on that basis. You almost have to be an android. You have to be devoid of the milk of human kindness. You really have to. And profits are your only concern. Um, that's my experience. There are clearly many people in these companies, particularly in the R&D divisions, who believe sincerely in what they're doing and want to help mankind. But then when you get to the marketing department, you see a very different beast altogether. That's an interesting dream that you're having. <laughs> I, I, it, it might it be may, a nightmare. I'm not sure. It might be a nightmare. It's a hope. It's a hope because I try to remind myself that these companies are run by people and these people have children and they do, they do have a conscience. And at some point, somewhere, somebody is going to wake up. I and mean, we've seen Paul Offit have a really unusual change in tune recently, right? 
And my first thought was maybe somebody close to him was injured. I mean, at some point, the chickens are going to come home to roost. The sheer numbers are going to make it inevitable that vaccine injury is, is a very, very real thing. And I think it's going to be far too late for many, many people. But um, yes, I think that what is going to happen is litigation. I think that one way of circumventing the 1986 Act is if the industry committed sins, committed fraud, committed acts that were so egregious that they would make them liable for punitive damages under the Act. And I think that that's what we're going to find. We're going to find that uh, there are cases that circumvent the Act because they were they're based on fraud. And those fraud cases are going to open the whole festering wound up and we are going to see huge settlements dictated by juries which um, lead to discovery and to exposure of what's really happened. That is my, my hope. That's going to be a phenomenal time. I look forward to that chapter. In the meantime, we've got an aggressive machine at play every day, Monday through Friday at 5 o'clock, 5.30, these pressers that are coming out of the White House. I'm sure if we were to look into a crystal ball and try to you know, peer into the future, if Fauci and Gates had their way, we would be looking at mandatory flu shots for everyone this fall, including children, to go back to school. That is the concern. Do you think they will pressure the White House and the Trump administration for a mandatory federal flu shot campaign, do you think that the states will buck this and try to continue to have autonomy in certain areas? What do you think this is, is going to look like? Well, I sincerely hope that there is resistance to it. Because as you know, the study by the armed forces showed that um, if you've had the flu shot, it makes you 36% more liable to coronavirus infection. So there is some way in which the flu vaccine is altering your immune response, your ability to resist this infection, make you more susceptible, more liable to get it. And so that is very, very worrying. What it'll do if you have mandatory flu vaccination is increase the vulnerability of the population to a subsequent coronavirus infection and therefore endorse the agenda for mandatory coronavirus vaccination. So it becomes a vicious, vicious cycle that we enter into and it is every reason to resist mandatory flu vaccination not least of which is not only does the flu vaccine almost invariably not work but it makes subsequent exposure to the flu more, more dangerous it seems to pervert the immune system in a way that makes you more liable to get flu and severe flu or other severe respiratory tract infections afterwards it's been such a privilege to work with you on this film. You know, I've been producing this with you and we know it's going to be out next month and we know it's going to be streamable. And that's really kind of an exciting time. What, what is your hope will be the takeaway message when people watch the movie? What do you, what do you hope they'll gain from it? Hope. Genuine mm. hope that there is um, an alternative and that they do have power and that power is vested in knowledge and the correct course of action and that collectively people can rise up they can vote they can use the due democratic process to vote in politicians who will stand up for their rights to put forward politicians who will endorse their rights and act in the best interests of 
this generation and future generations of the country and not in the best interests of big corporations like the pharmaceutical industry. So the message is one of hope, I believe. Wonderful. Well, we're so looking forward to it. And I would love to talk further about what's coming down the pike, but I think it's better to keep it a secret and let people enjoy the fruits of your labor first with this one. And then we'll see what you'll be working on next, uh, unless there's something you want to share about what you hope to focus your attention on after this one. Nope. It's too soon. It's too <laughs> soon. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. All right. Well, it's a pleasure, Andy. Stay safe. And thank you so much for spending some time with us today. We're so grateful to the Health Freedom Summit for allowing us to share everything that we're doing. We will have our website up in the next week or two. It will be 1986theact.com. And we'll have all kinds of information there about where you can view the film from there. So thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Andy Wakefield Weekly Podcast, a place where stories are being told that have never been heard before. This is a Seventh Chakra Films production in collaboration with Brick City Creative. Please follow and like us while you still can on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 1986 The Act, and soon on Sphere.